This is Library Nerds with Words, the podcast that gives you the word on all the cool, nerdy happenings at Peter White Public Library and the library universe beyond. From books and concerts to search engines and story times, the library nerds are in and ready to show you that being a nerd can be cool. Get ready, get set, get nerdy. Welcome back to episode one of season two of Library Nerds with Words, the podcast that gives you the word on all the cool happenings at Peter White Public Library and the library universe beyond from the people who know it best, library nerds. I'm Marty Ackett, Adult Programming Coordinator for Peter White, and to help me kick off this new year and new season is Five Pete Guest Nerd All-Star, Madeline Bitter from the Reference Desk here at Peter White. I'm so glad you're here to help me kick off Season 2 of Library Nerds with Words, Madeline. I'm so happy to be here with you today, Marty. All right, and Happy New Year. Um, We are officially now in 2022 and looking forward to lots of great things here at Peter White Public Library, including the return of movie nights and matinees. And of course, I would be remiss, Madeline, if I didn't mention the book club that you organize, Global Geeks, which is going strong every month and is always looking for new members. Now, I'm not quite sure what word you've got up your sleeve for us today, Madeline, but you know what we have to do first. We have to play a little game of Word on the Nerd. I'm going to ask you three library nerd questions about yourself, and you have to answer them for the listeners. So, Madeline, are you ready to play another round of Word on the Nerd? So, this is going to be a little game of this or that. I'm going to name two books or authors or movies or foods or anything, and you have to choose between the two of them. So, here is your first question. True crime or dystopian lit? I will always go for true crime over dystopian lit. Really? Yeah. Even though I find myself reading dystopian lit on accident a lot. You're not a big fan? It's not my favorite. What about echo dystopian lit? Like eco... I feel like I just like literature about the natural world. And since we're kind of are where we are today, yes, a lot yes. of it ends up being dystopian. Yeah, that's true. Just that's by true. being in proximity to that subject okay. right now. So we're going with so we're going with blood and murder yes. over the end of the world. Yes. yes. All right. All right. I'll I'll take that. All right. And here's your second question. I think this one might be harder for you. Um, second question, Alice Hoffman. Or Louise Erdrich? Yeah, so I'm going <laughs> to sit and look at this question on the script for a while because that's really hard. Because <laughs> I feel like I like them both for very similar reasons. Mm-hmm. But I I circled Louise Uh-oh. Erdrich. Okay, okay. And I think five years ago, if you had asked me that question, I would have said Alice Hoffman. Hoffman. Mm-hmm. But I think since then, I really appreciate how Louise Erdrich captures how 
multi-dimensional people are and how flawed her yeah. characters can yeah. be. And that's something that as I've grown older, older, I appreciate a lot more in my stories. I, you know, if I were to choose the two, I would have gone with the Louise as well. Mm -hmm. I haven't read her new one that's set in the book story yet. Have I haven't you? either. I'm so excited for that book because it, I mean, her recent books have been a little heavy mm -hmm. and dealing with very serious issues. Yeah. And this one is like a ghost story set in a bookstore, which I mean, amazing. That which is amazing, but she's amazing. So, okay, everyone, um, we are in agreement there, Louise Erdrich. And by the way, I would go with dystopian lit over true crime. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm not a big true crime person. So, anyway, all right. So here is your last question, and this is the most important one: pizza or waffle fries? Waffle fries. Really? Over yes. pizza? Yes. Um. So I want. I am very lactose intolerant. Okay. So cheese is kind of off the table for me completely. Oh. And I've tried like vegan pizza before. Mm -hmm. And it's good. Yeah. But it, it's not the same. Okay. So, all right. Well, that's a really tough one for me. And I yeah. did not know that you were lactose intolerant, mm -hmm. or I might have picked another food there, <laughs> you know, but, um, uh, you know, you can't go wrong with waffle fries. Mm -hmm. Now, are you the kind of person that has the ranch dip with it? No, I don't like ranch dressing at all. What I know. about the ranch dip down at Van Gogh's, right? Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. No, 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 it's like zesty mayo. I, I love I love their ranch dip though, and I'm not usually I don't use condiments like I don't use ketchup or mustard or anything like that. But that ranch dip, you know, I could like bathe in a bucket of it. I like it so much. So I like sauces too. That's why I chose waffle fries because I think dipping foods is mm -hmm. like why people have opposable thumbs. Oh, like it's just a a part of the human experience. It really it's is. It, it is a highlight. Now what? What sauce would you use with your waffle fries? I love good old ketchup. Uh, I'm pretty basic. Yeah. You know, the more, more high fructose corn syrup in it, the better. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, I also really like a good honey mustard. Mm, okay. All right. Yeah. Um, I would pass on both of those. Oh, really? But, you know, um, I will, I'll, I'll stick to my ranch, but you know, we can go you out can and, you, can you know what? what, we can go out and get waffle fries. You can have your condiments. I'll have my condiments. Perfect. We'll both be happy. So, all right. Well, there you go. That's the end of this game of Word on the Nerd, this time with Madeline Bitter from the reference desk here at Peter White Public Library. Now, it is time to find out what is on your mind today in this new year and new season of Library Nerds with Words. So, Madeline, why don't you share with us the word? What is on your mind today, Madeline? <laughs> oh, I have a lot of oh boy, mind oh boy, oh boy. So I she's got like a stack of papers and you hear me clinking them on the table. <laughs> I did a lot of research for this episode and I had a lot of fun doing it. All right. So I wanted to talk about literary hoaxes. Literary hoaxes. Okay. Yeah, well, this is this is sounding intriguing. Debunked books. I have debunked books on mine just because it sounds better when I say it out loud, but yeah. I wanted to talk about some books that were later disproven. Okay. So All right. I would just like to say that sometimes this episode might contain some talk about abuse and racism. Some trigger and stuff. warnings. Trigger so. warning if you need to listen to a different episode. 
Go ahead. You yeah. take care of yourself. Yep. Um, so today, one of the books, this might have to be a two-parter too. All right. One of the books that I wanted to talk about was The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven by Kevin and Alex Malarkey. Yes, I've heard of this one. That came out in 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, so this book can be categorized with the heaven tourism genre, not to be confused with titles like Heaven is for Real mm-hmm. and 90 Minutes in Heaven, which mm-hmm. all of those kind of make the trifecta of very popular heaven books. Yep. yep. So Kevin and his six-year-old son, Alex, are driving home from church when they're in a car accident that leaves Alex a quadriplegic and in a coma for two months. Mm-hmm. Then he woke up and began to make slow progress towards recovery, and he started telling his parents about the visions and out-of-body experiences he had had while in a coma and as he made this Mm. slow recovery. And these experiences entailed what he saw when when he went to heaven, like the gates of heaven being tall and meeting Jesus and Satan, and Jesus comes through a hole in heaven, and I guess that's how he moves back and forth between the worlds. That's very Star Trek. (laughs) (laughs) So later, uh, Kevin, the father, got the idea to write a book after his son's condition began to attract media attention. Mm. And he was signed with a literary agent and a book deal. And then this book sold over a million copies in 2013, detailed in a Slate article in 2019 titled The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven. Alex, 21 years old at the time of the article's publication, now renounces the book and says that the stories detailed within are heavily embellished by his father. After Alex had had some mumblings about seeing angels and thinking he was dead after he woke up in the hospital room. Hmm. So he disputes that. Um, Let's see where I am. So the son is going against the father? Yes. Wow. Uh Uh-huh. Wow. Okay. Okay. Let's see. Um, Alex says that he has never read the whole book himself, even though he's listed as a co-author. He is not included in the book contract since he was a child at the time of the books of the book deal signing and his mother, Beth, was not included either. She has supported and backed up her son's statements about the validity of the book since then. And since then, she and Kevin have divorced. Alex is still a quadriplegic and requires full-time care and he neither he or his mother have any idea where the money he is owed has gone he uh subsists off social security money pretty much so this book made millions and millions of dollars Mm -hmm. and the father took it all yeah it all went to the dad that is sad. Uh-huh. I would also like to add that the universe just gave us this little bonus by having their last name be Malarkey. Mm, yeah. Which, I don't know. That well, seems... Did they make a movie out of that book, too? I think they made a movie out of The Heaven is for Real. Okay. I think so. All right. I'll have to check back to that. All right. All right. Um, Let's see. Oh, there's a quote from the legal suit being pursued by Alex and Beth. And it is that says that they are on the verge of homelessness because wow. of his medical care and other living expenses for him and his mother. It's really dire, it seems like. So the publisher, Tyndale House, took the book out of print after Alex and Beth came out uh, that the content was falsified and mm-hmm. highly embellished. Okay. To what degree differ, differs with who you ask, Kevin or Beth? Alex seems to be missing from the conversation entirely. Mm. When you read all these articles online, it yeah. seems to be a lot of back and forth between husband and wife. And Alex still 
He seems to be on the sidelines a lot. Okay. Um, so I think his voice is really missing from his this whole conversation. Um, even though the book is about him and what he went through, I'd like to see Alex take ownership over the narrative and any future iterations that the story might take. I find his father Alec or find his father Kevin to be an interesting figure because he was driving the car when they got in the accident. Maybe the book and the role his faith took in this difficult situation helped to navigate the guilt that he undoubtedly experienced. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I can't help but think that this was an effort to make money to cover all of these hospital bills. But it's not. I, I mean, know. that that's what bugs like, me. Maybe I was like thinking like maybe that was part of it, but I also think it's a lot of trying to absolve his own guilt and like mm-hmm. put it in a way that makes it all make sense. Wow. So either way, I just think of this as a really tragic story, and I really want Alex to be able to tell it the way he wants to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and it seems like neither parent is letting him do that. Yeah. It's a lot of back and forth. Wow. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's depressing. Okay, right. I, I you probably got another book here that you're going to talk about. <laughs> like I said, this episode wasn't going to be super-duper happy, but... <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting, though. Yeah. Okay. Right. So next one is the education of litter, little tree. Oh yeah. By Forrest Carter. Mm-hmm. All right. So this kind of ties into my last episode subject about Native American Native literature. Native American lit. Yeah. And it's another false memoir that got a movie in 1997, and it appeals to the neo Zen and New Agey crowd a little bit. The supposed author Forrest Carter writes about his childhood living with his Cherokee Cherokee grandparents in the woods. Hiding from the government. <laughs> government? <laughs> government. That's how they spell it in the I'm book. Government. government. All right. <laughs> All right. Mr. Carter talks about the down-home grandparents in the woods. Or, sorry. Mr. Carter talks about the down-home, folksy wisdom and spirituality that his grandparents used to navigate their daily life. He must have come across as pretty convincing since it sold a lot of copies and it seemed like people really liked this book and right after the death of Forrest Carter there was a manuscript found for its sequel at public speaking events Forrest would come across as very down earth and relatable and often doing Cherokee dances and chants for audiences at these speaking I don't, I don't like where this is headed and you shouldn't uh, yeah this, this does not sound really great you are right in being worried <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't revealed until right after his death that his real identity was that of Isa Earl Carter, a professional racist. He was born in Alabama in 1925, and as he grew up, he joined the Navy during World War II. He came back and he attended the University of Colorado and the GI Bill, and then he got married, and him and his wife moved back home to Alabama, where he would become a segregationist speechwriter. His Wikipedia page states, prior to his literary career as Forrest, Carter was politically active for years in Alabama as an opponent of the civil rights movement. He worked as a speechwriter for segregationist Governor George Wallace of Alabama, founded the North Alabama Citizens Council, NACC, an independent offshoot of the White Citizen Council movement, and an independent KKK Klan group, and stood at a pro-segregation monthly titled The Southerner. That is so... That's unbelievable. I know. So where, how did he move from that to the education of Little Tree? That's my question. I'll get to that in a second. All right, all right, because that's that's like an astounding like leap for me. I know. Yeah. Yeah. 
So during the 1960s, Carter was a speechwriter for Alabama's Governor George Wallace. Mm -hmm. He was one of two men credited with Wallace's famous slogan, Segregation Now, Segregation Tomorrow, and Segregation Forever. Part of Wallace's Mm -hmm. 1963 inaugural speech. Carter himself ran for governor on the white supremacist ballot against Wallace in 1970 and lost. After that, he ran away to Texas with his tail between his legs, where he reinvented himself as Forrest Carter after the Confederate general and first leader of the KKK, Nathan Bedford Forrest. In Texas, he would begin to distance himself away from his family and the past that lay in Alabama entirely. He would even call his son's nephew after that, but he would psychologically and physically distance himself from Alab- from his former life as much as he could. Mm. Yeah. Okay. He would go on to write <laughs> more books with Native American themes, mostly Westerns and then the Little Tree Book. And he was interviewed by Barbara Walters to promote one of his books. And in a New York Times article, he stated that he was not, in fact, Isa Carter, but he was. He was. I- so he denied who he was. Oh, he's completely and outright. He was like, no, that's not me. And Barbara Walters let him get away with it? I guess so. Come on, Barbara. Come on. (laughs) Well, the education of Little Tree has been skewered by academics and critics alike, and the Forrest Isa and Forrest slash Isa has been publicly decried as ever being a member of the Cherokee tribe. Critics and indigenous academics have criticized the book for its heavy portrayal of the quote-unquote noble savage stereotype, Mm. which is, as defined by Wikipedia, a noble savage is a literary stock character who embodies the concept of uh, indigenine, outsider, a wild human, and other who has not been corrupted by civilization Mm. and therefore symbolizes humanity's innate goodness. Also, the Cherokee words and traditions in the book are also false. <laughs> wow! Wow! <laughs> yeah. Wow. So why do you think he made such a big leap from his yeah, former life, life to, to this one? Yeah. And, and like, totally, like, tried to... Separate do you think... It. I mean, I, I can't think that he was trying to deny that he was a racist. Mm-hmm. I mean, because it doesn't... Say, because, I mean, if you have a change of heart and everything, you would think that someone would come out and say, you know, I was totally wrong. This right. is not. And try to work to correct the actions that you had in your past, mm-hmm. as opposed to just saying, I don't exist anymore. And I'm. And plus, he named himself after the founder of the KKK. So he really changed all he, that It's money. It's got to be money. He was like trying to figure out. Wow. Yeah. That that is amazing. Do we have that book here in the library? You know what? I didn't check, but I have seen the movie. I watched that in a classroom. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Actually, but it's based on like stereotype Stereotype. and. Oh, absolutely. And I'm just thinking of this this racist or former racist or whatever he was, like standing up doing readings and dancing, like made up. Like really fetishizing the whole uh, Cherokee tradition. Wow. And wow. Yeah. Okay. I know. That's a stunner, isn't it? That That is a stunner. <laughs> that is a stunner. We've gone from a father who makes up a story about his son possibly going to heaven. 
to a racist who reinvents himself as a Native American. <laughs> a watered-down racist. <laughs> a watered-down racist. Okay. Yeah. Are you going to crush me with another one? Yeah, let's do one more. Okay, let's do one more. This is what we got on the docket. <laughs> oh, okay. So, um, are you familiar with the Satanic Panic at all? No, but it sounds, I like the title. I like the title. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, I guess I should start with, well, first of all, I'm going to introduce the book. It's Michelle Remembers by Lawrence Pazder and Michelle Smith. And this was published in 1980. Right. So the publication of Michelle Remembers in 1980 is one of the points of origin of the satanic panic that spread across North America in the late 1980s to the 1990s. And even now, I would argue, mm -hmm. for those of you that might not be familiar with this era, it can be described as a mass media fueled moral panic that depicted godless teenagers being indoctrinated into Satanism through metal music and Dungeons and Dragons. Amongst other things. <laughs> oh, <sorry. laughs> I did not mean to laugh out loud at that one. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> Allegations of quote unquote, satanic ritual abuse were pr plentiful during this time, and these allegations sent many adults to prison serving long sentences. Hmm. Most, if not all of these claims were unfounded. Hmm. We'll get into why soon, but a lot of the imagery and motifs of satanic ritual abuse can be directly traced to this book, Michelle Remembers. Oh, wow. Yeah. So in the late 1970s in Victoria, British Columbia, Michelle Smith goes to Lawrence Pazder's private psychiatric pra practice for her depression after she experiences a really tragic miscarriage. Okay. So Pazder uses hypnosis on Michelle to reveal repressed memories of horrific ritual abuse at the hands of a satanic cult and her mother, who was a part of this cult, supposedly. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the mem a lot of the book is just details about the memories that Michelle supposedly recalls through these visions and guided meditations and hypnosis techniques. Okay. Um, I'm not going to go into details to like what those rituals were like. We don't, we don't need to. Really bad. No. Yeah. Over the top, like the worst of slasher gore movies that you can think of. Okay. Plus more. <laughs> okay. Let's see. Um, doo -doo 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 -doo. Oh yeah. And this therapy is called recovered memory therapy. And the two of them believed that child ritual abuse was enough of a problem to warrant a visit to the Vatican in 1978 to alert the church about worldwide satanic cult activity. So like many other books on this list, Michelle Remembers earned its co-authors a great deal of money and attention with appearances on talk shows like, Oprah, like the Oprah Winfrey Show, oh my where the book was presented as indisputable fact. After the book, Oprah was always disputed, showed everything as indisputable fact. Showed up on a lot of these books that I was researching. I think she was like the educational little tree, even. I think she did that too. Yeah. Anyway, okay, sorry. Oh, no, We're not bashing good. Oprah, people. We're mm -hmm. not. Yeah. But like, come on. A little research at <laughs> least? I don't all know. All right, all right, okay. All right. <laughs> so after the book was published, Pastor and Smith divorced their spouses and married each other. Hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> so the book came under. We just have both had full body shivers there, if you can't tell. The pause was a ooh. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, that's a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the book fails to mention that Michelle had two sisters, one older and one younger. 
calling into question how Michelle's mother managed to hide the violent abuse from her other siblings so well. Mm-hmm. And there's a portion of the book where Michelle recounts an 81-day long ritual held in a graveyard that she was forced to participate in. But school records show that she attended school normally and without any suspicious absences. The graveyard was also in a residential area. And according to Michelle, it was this ritual was held in an enormous room that could fit hundreds of people and did have hundreds of people participating. Of course, the cemetery in the neighborhood and this neighborhood in Victoria had no such building mm. with no such room. And also there's a lot of neighborhoods around. You think you'd hear you would hear an 81 or whatever day ritual. Yeah, the skanking is screaming. I imagine it's gotta be pretty noisy. Oh. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, of co- um, there's no such building with no such room, and there's that's only a few of like the dis- inconsistencies. Did Did her house. mother ever say anything, oh, or was yeah. it... the family came out and just completely was like, "What is this? Like, oh, okay. no, this never happened. Like, just completely incredulously, like, why? Why would you make this up? So mm. yeah, they completely refute any of. Okay. All right. Statements. And like no charges or investigations were ever made against the mother or anything like that? I don't believe so. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because you would think ritual abuse. Right. Someone would look look into something like that. I don't think so. I'll I'll have to go back and Okay, see. all right. Yeah. Um but if I had to do an intertextual analysis of everything that this book States and mm. things that have been proven wrong. This would be like a three-hour-long episode. Wow! So if that's something we do want to do, we can. But I'm not really I don't know. ready. For that I don't know that. I don't think we're ready for that. <laughs> but I mean, it sounds like you got a lot of books. So we might have to have a part two on this one. So yeah. So this book serves as a cultural touchstone, especially to modern America, because it was used as a guide for law enforcement, therapists, and prosecutors to inform them on satanic ritual abuse. Pastor was considered an expert in this ritual abuse, largely due to the success of the book, and was used as a consultant in the McMartin preschool trial, mm-hmm. as well as the ge- as a guest on several talk shows. Probably Oprah. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> a repeat guest. Mm-hmm. He went around to law enforcement agencies to lecture about the signs and strategies to use when talking to victims of ritual abuse. After the book's release, Pastor admitted that about a third of his time was spent consulting on ritual abuse cases. So he made money oh, off yeah, doing career. this, like a tons and tons of money. Mm-hmm. And plus he got a wife out of it. Right. <laughs> um, wow. There's so much wrong with that story. There's so much wrong with that story. I know. It's like a Pandora's box of everything bad. Oh, my gosh. You've got a, a psychiatrist who's leading a woman who's like, probably Definitely. vulnerable oh, very. and yes. and you know and there's there's been all this kinds of things like even even a um like multiple personalities where people where psychiatrists sort of lead mm-hmm. and do, do its regressions and stuff like that mm-hmm. where that that's all in question now as to how, the validity of that right and this guy just well both of them but i'm i'm wondering how much of a victim she was or how much of a of a whatever co-author and co-conspirator she is in that Mm -hmm. you know um and gosh i can't imagine being a family member oh i know of of her devastating i it just you know and everybody 
Well, and everybody believed it. She's on all the talk shows. And so she has resounding support from audiences and readers. But considering the last four years of the climate here in the United States, that doesn't surprise me Mm -hmm. because a lot of people get their information from Facebook instead of doing (laughs) the extra research, which... We have a library here, people. You can come and find out stuff. Please do. <laughs> I really encourage you to do that. <laughs> because that is astounding to yes. me. Yes. And I wanted to kind of end on this note about Michelle Remembers, mm-hmm. is that this book proved to have life-altering effects for people wrongly accused of satanic mm-hmm. ritual abuse, like those in the McMartin trial and many others. Memory recovery therapy is a discredited practice and was used to implant false memories mm-hmm. into patients' minds. Human consciousness and memory is a field we still don't know a lot about. Yeah. And I think Michelle, maybe she was abused in the past. Yeah. But these memories were heavily influenced and embellished by Lawrence Pazder. And not only were these memories untrue, I really hate to think about how traumatic it must have been for Michelle and other people who have been patients undergoing unethical psychiatric practices the memories documented in the book are disgusting and real or not it's so gross to think that people have been tricked into thinking that those events have really happened to them that's and and you put yourselves in the hands of someone looking for help right and instead you get someone who exploits you Mm -hmm. who wow and makes you think that you remember all these awful things happening to you it against just, your family it members like ultra type torture stuff like yeah. i can't imagine how awful yeah. for michelle if this really happened if she really experienced these memories yeah. how terrifying yeah i mean regardless of i mean under hypnosis right. someone implanting those kinds of things like oh. giving you leading questions and uh Scary stuff. All right. Well, <laughs> you know, that's only like three books. It looks like she's got about 10 more pages of stuff here. Oh, I do. So, so we're going to have to have Madeline back and we're going to have to do a part two of this because this is kind of really fascinating to me <laughs> um, because there's a lot of, I, I, you know, there's a lot of books. I mean, we didn't even touch a million little pieces, James oh, yeah. Fry, mm-hmm. with, with, again, um, a certain talk show host who's very famous. Um, let's let's not even say it. Okay, so, all right. Well, that is the word from Madeline Bitter, reference librarian at Peter Way Public Library at the beginning of 2022. And I guess the moral of this episode is going to be look for the truth. It's out there, people. Um, but some things don't change, Madeline. Before I can let you out of the guest nerd chair, you know what you have to do. You have to give listeners a recommendation of a book that they should pick up off the shelf. Madeline, what book should we read to kick off the new year right? So I'm going to shameless plug my book club again. Okay. Since we are meeting on January 17th, 16th, okay. Dandelion Cottage Room. And we are going to be reading The Shadow of the Wind by oh, Carlos Ruiz. So good. That is so good. Yes, I'm loving it so far. I'm like, I haven't been able to pick up the books. Want me to tell you? Want me to tell you what happens at the end? No. 
I, I really want to no. because it is so good. No, you have to. <laughs> oh, I love the suspense, the gothic. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Anyway, I want to see all you guys there so we can all talk about it. It's it's amazing. That that book is amazing. I, I mean, I read it a, a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's just it's kind of an edge of your seat kind of book. And um, um. I see. I can't say anything about it because no. Madeline hasn't finished it. So I'm like, wait until you get to the part where. No, I won't do that. But yeah, it's um, and Zephon, I think he just recently passed. Yeah. He was he was um he was a really amazing writer. Um, he's got a couple really good books out there, but that that book is like one of my favorites. I love that book. So I Yay. I wholeheartedly endorse that book, and the Global Geeks Book Club. You have to come out and. Uh, and talk about that book. So, all right. Well, there you have it, fellow library nerds. Madeline's recommendation of a book that you should pick up off the shelf. And we have come to the end of this episode of Library Nerds with Words. I want to thank my fellow library nerd, Madeline Bitter, from the reference desk for joining me to kick off our new season of the podcast. Come back next week when I will be joined by another nerd superstar, Jenny Kilpola, communications coordinator at Peter White Public Library. Don't tell her this because I haven't asked her yet, but she's going to be coming on. (laughs) So anyway, until that time, everyone, happy new year and stay nerdy. Thank you for listening to Library Nerds with Words, Peter White Public Library's weekly podcast, giving you the word on what's cool at the library. The theme for the podcast is Happy Clappy by John Bartman, used courtesy of Pixabay. This episode was written and produced by Martin Ackett's and sponsored by Peter White Public Library. Until next week, pick up a good book, listen to some good music, watch a good movie, attend a great event, and remember, library nerds are the coolest people around.